Hi there, I'm Kate Meisner, and welcome back to the TrustCast, an Edelman podcast. This week, we're returning to the infodemic that our trust research first uncovered in February. With waning trust in news sources and widespread misinformation, what can companies do to keep their brands safe? To discuss, Edelman's Patrick Hillman, Global Head of Innovation for our Crisis and Risk Practice, sat down with Caitlin Rush, Head of Global Brand Safety Strategy at Twitter. Give it a listen. Hi, I'm Patrick Hillman, Global Head of Innovation for Edelman's Crisis and Risk Practice, and you're listening to The TrustCast, an Edelman podcast. Reliable information is increasingly hard to come by as disinformation spreads to new online platforms, often by unwitting users. Not only does this impede our ability to continue progressing as a society more broadly, but it particularly impacts an organization's brand safety. To talk about this, I'm joined by Caitlin Rush, Head of Global Brand Safety Strategy at Twitter. Before her time at Twitter, Caitlin worked in digital communications at the Herald Group, Endeavor Strategies, and for the U.S. House of Representatives. Caitlin, I am so excited to speak with you today, and we can't thank you enough for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, Really excited to be here and appreciate you having me. So there are so many places for us to potentially start here, but I think I want to start maybe just a little bit more broadly. Um, Can you sort of help our listeners understand how we define brand safety as a concept and how leaders should think about brand safety at their own organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So at Twitter, when we think about brand safety, we are ultimately thinking about human safety. Uh, When platforms and media focus first and foremost on keeping people safe, safe from abuse, harassment, harmful misinformation, we ultimately create a safe environment for everybody that includes brands. Uh, So that, you know, when you think about it from that angle, brand safety ultimately becomes about social responsibility and really taking a holistic approach through policies, products, and partnerships to protect both people and brands. Uh, And we see this happening more and more where brands are really leaning into and interested in understanding all of the things platforms are doing to create a safe environment. It might have been the case, you know, a few years ago where an advertiser would only want to hear about the latest video product or see your rate card, but that's just not the case anymore. We see these customers really interested in learning about our consumer policies, the product updates we're making to promote healthy conversation across the board. Um, And so ultimately, I think, you know, coming to the table with that curiosity and genuine interest in understanding Uh, what your media partners stand for goes a long way in protecting your brand in a much bigger picture. So disinformation obviously poses a huge risk to brand safety. But before we even delve into that, can you help us understand how has the global pandemic forced communications, marketing, and advertising executives to have to rethink their approach to brand safety more generally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, 2020 was absolutely a um, moment of reckoning um, for so many industries, for so many people um, in in so many ways. But certainly we saw, um, you know, that being the case for brand safety. Um, You know, prior to 2020 with obviously the global pandemic, uh, the resurgence of social justice movements and everything else that was was going on around the world, 
we saw brand safety um, often being boiled down to just thinking about, you know, what is the content my ad uh, is appearing next to? You know, where uh, is, is the context and adjacency that my brand is showing up in? Um, where again, with everything that, that we saw last year, we really did see the, the shift in the mindset of brand safety from being hyper-focused solely on adjacency and being about the brand to that pivot and, and bigger picture of making it about the people um, and about that, that human safety. And ultimately, you know, just as we see, you know, uh, conscious uh, purchasing, intentional shopping and, and social responsibility coming to the forefront of um, consumer purchase decisions, uh, exact same thing we're seeing here when you think about, you know, advertisers as the customers and consumers of, of media platforms. Okay, so... Then regarding disinformation specifically, and I'm going to ask you to do something that we've done in past episodes, but I, I think it's important that we all kind of set the stage here. Can you first kind of help us, you know, clear up two words that we often hear people use um, uh, interchangeably, uh, misinformation versus disinformation? Absolutely. Uh, I, I often find the easiest way to distinguish between misinformation and disinformation is to think about intent. So disinformation is misinformation distributed distributed with the intent to deceive or mislead. You know, ultimately misinformation is about the content itself. Is this statement false? Uh, and that's where we can get into areas where people may not always realize they're sharing misinformation. Whereas disinformation is much more about the conduct. It's, you know, it's about sharing and spreading information deliberately, whether it is by an individual or through coordinated efforts with the intent to artificially influence conversations or sow falsehoods. You know, one thing that I think people often misunderstand when they think about disinformation is that they're looking to sort of basically separate fact from fiction. But what we found over the last four years is that um, these disinformation factions have become really, really, really effective in essentially creating a very lethal cocktail of disinformation that melds both truth with falsehoods, which has been able to essentially um, be able to instill in the minds of people the idea that maybe this disinformation might be true in some way, shape, or form, even if the overarching truth itself seems false. Um, have you folks also sort of seen that on your platforms, that sort of melding of truth with falsehoods and or just sort of destabilize people's belief systems? Yeah, and I think, you know, that is one of the, the reasons that misinformation and disinformation is so um, challenging and harmful, right? It, it does, they find these ways to toe that line and, um, you know, make it believable at the end of the day for, for some folks, right? It's, it speaks to an inherent truth on some level, perhaps. Um, and, and it is unfortunate that we see, you know, there is just this... Uh, distrust in in society and and we see things like you know fake news emerging um, as a catchphrase and really a, a catch-all to capture everything from you know manufactured news stories to factually incorrect information to state-supported propaganda 
and also to at the end of the day, sometimes it's used just to describe uh, news and points of view that people might just disagree with or dislike. Um, so at Twitter, we really focus our efforts around misinformation on the things that are most likely to cause real-world offline harm and the severity of ha that harm. And again, whether that is spreading that, that misinformation knowingly uh, or accidentally, we want to protect the people and communities that, that use our service from that harmful misinformation, regardless of intent. I have to be really um, truthful with you. I do not admire the job that you folks have to do. Um, being able to both do everything you potentially can um, to ensure that brand safety is being protected and you're protecting your users without positioning yourselves as the arbitrary of truth is a really, really challenging endeavor for any private organization to undertake. You know, in Edelman's 2021 Trust Barometer findings revealed what we call an information bankruptcy, with six in 10 people believing that journalists, government leaders, and business leaders are purposefully trying to mislead people by spreading misinformation. Does that surprise you? And what are some of the most common examples of accidental disinformation versus intentional deceit that you folks have seen? Yeah. Um, I mean, first, right, when you, when you hear those things, it, it is unfortunate and it's, it's hard to, to, you know, wrap your head around just the level of, of distrust that exists, you know, between individuals and, and with institutions. Um, Though, as you know, I mentioned earlier, there is certainly a distinction between distrust and disinformation, right? If we think about the fake news example, and sometimes there there just being a disagreement. Um, when when we look at the types of misinformation uh, that we see on the platform and that we often try to focus our efforts on, as I said, you know, it, we really need to be able to prioritize. Uh, those areas with the like with the highest likelihood of offline real world harm, uh, and what we see and and the areas that we focus our efforts on uh, fall into to three categories really, and that is misinformation that you know poses a threat to free and fair elections, so um, civic, civic integrity uh, as, as you think through that as well as misinformation um, that poses a threat to public health. Obviously, with the last year in particular, that came to the forefront uh, with misinformation around COVID-19, more recently around vaccines. And then the third category that we really focus on um, is synthetic and manipulated media. I think, you know, what, what you said earlier about um, often, you know, this challenge arising because it's just believable enough. Um, that in particular is something that makes synthetic and manipulated media so potentially dangerous because now it's calling into question, you know, not just something that you are reading, but something that you now are seeing with your own eyes in, in you know, a video or, or other media. So that's, you know, why we're ensuring we're focusing there as well. 
Other topics that often come to mind when people think about misinformation can also sometimes be approached from different angles or with different policies. So, for example, uh, when we think about misinformation around conspiracy theories and the denial of violent historical events, the ability to address that sort of harmful content through policies like abuse and hateful conduct enable us to take that bigger picture approach versus solely focusing in on that content as misinformation. Even bigger picture, we're thinking about new and innovative ways to provide context around topics where there might be a lot of debate and gray area or nuance. So, uh, Earlier this year, Twitter launched Birdwatch, which uh, is an experiment uh, taking a community-based approach to addressing misleading content. So Birdwatch allows people who use Twitter to add context to disputed statements that don't necessarily violate our platform policies, right? So they're not those three big pieces of, of misinformation or something that would, would you know, violate one of our other policies like hateful conduct. Uh, but there, there is... Um, you know, there's there's some challenge here going on. Um, and so ultimately, we're able to build credibility um, through annotations and diverse consensus um, of those annotations. Um, and, and ultimately, this is really helpful as well, because it's not Twitter telling you what's true or what's false. It's your peers. Um, and it's, it's a diverse representation um, of, of people who use Twitter providing that context. And ultimately, by empowering the Twitter community to address misleading information, we're able to solve for a lot of the typically you know, hardest challenges of content moderation related to misinformation. And that's, you know, speed, scale, and trust. Um, and, and by kind of opening up to this crowdsource approach, we're able to tackle uh, each of those things. You know, one of the challenges that I think um, organizations have um, when they think about uh, disinformation campaigns and, and, and misinformation narratives spreading and potentially impacting the organization is that they have a hard time understanding why or how or what their sort of scope of risk is to this type of threat. And I think the challenge for these organizations is understanding that they're often not the actual direct target, but they're a bank shot to move forward in another agenda. So for instance, um, Wayfair obviously went through a very significant global disinformation event um, that and I don't have to go through and, and elicit all of the just truly disgusting things that was sort of um, spread about them online related to um, child trafficking, et cetera. But the target was never to impact really Wayfair or their business model or their executives. It was really about creating a proof point and a narrative online that the business community as a whole um, was somehow um, not trustworthy, involved in nefarious activities, um, that there was this global sort of force of elites um, that were moving this sadistic agenda forward underneath the noses of the average consumer. And so it can oftentimes be really challenging for companies to understand, like, am I at risk for this? 
you know, in addition to sort of the political and healthcare related information that we've seen um, be targeted by this, obviously COVID-19 and particularly vaccine hesitancy has been uh, targeted, but what other topics or issue areas are you seeing as increasingly prone to disinformation, if you can share that? Yeah, so um, as mentioned earlier, certainly um, we think about uh, the denial of, of historical events is is an emerging uh, area of, of misinformation that that comes up. Um, you know the the realities around uh, climate change and uh, climate science and and what information is is spread and discussed there uh, is is another emerging topic. And again, I think one of those areas that um, is is so nuanced, uh, and it's it's because of these these areas of, of nuance and these shades of gray that that we get into when you look at you know the just the breadth of potential topics um, that that misinformation can touch is why we are really deliberately thinking about and looking at going beyond just the binary decision of content removal uh, in terms of, you know, ways to address misinformation. Um, you know, when, when we only think about content removal, this leaves us with a really just blunt approach uh, to leaving something up or taking it down. Uh, but when we think about, you know, what are the other tools at our disposal with enforcement actions related to misinformation, we open ourselves up to the ability to, um, you know, address many, many more things. So, you know, these can be everything from providing additional context through annotations or labels uh, to deamplifying content or you know disabling the ability to engage or share that content um, or you know even trying to get ahead of things sometimes right offering nudges or pre-bunks to uh, mitigate the spread of misinformation even before it happens uh, and then so when we have when we have all of these tools and, and we think about them um, this gives us the ability to you know, protect and enable um, important public debate when when warranted and when needed, but ultimately does leave, uh, again, that removal option as our most aggressive enforcement action for those most harmful types of, of misinformation. We're able to protect robust debate about these issues of public importance, especially in areas where, you know, the facts may not be clear while also ensuring we are doing everything we can to reduce harm. So for those business leaders that are listening right now, um, you know, my message to all of you is that I think we often, you know, the first sort of gut reaction we have when we believe that there's um, active disinformation being spread of, you know, about our organizations, about our industries, is we immediately think about deplatforming, you know, as you pointed out. And I think your response and, and the risks you sort of laid out here, I think really um, uh, solidify why that's not a singular approach. And if you think back to the early days of just social media and how companies used to sort of operate on social media, um, I remember when the first thing companies would do when they would start to get uh, backlash on social media is they would start to delete posts. And that almost always resulted in worsening the situation. 
in creating further amplification or in giving credibility and credence to those individuals who were launching attacks. And so just as we had to adapt as, um, as an industry uh, or as a, you know, a group of industries to how we sort of um, responded and utilized and acted on our own personal um, social media platforms, I think we need to take the same approach on broader platforms as well. I think we tend to agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd encourage any listeners, if you're not already familiar, to do a quick Google of the Streisand effect. Um, and this, you know, it, it all started with uh, an, an, in, an instance uh, with Barbara Streisand specifically, but ultimately is, is something that refers to, you know, this larger phenomenon that oftentimes by trying to hide or remove something, you ultimately drive uh, more attention to it and publicize it further. So one other thing I want to touch on, you talked about sort of the need to have sort of a diverse tool set and how we respond to these issues. And something that you mentioned has been um, really effective in our experience is the idea of pre-bunking, um, which involves, first of all, I think, really being able to um, understand and track disinformation at its sort of earliest stages of genesis online, um, which we now have tools that um, are available to us in the private sector. So um, that we can sort of track disinformation as it's happening, what we call the gray web, right? So on channels like 8coon and 4chan and you know, VK and a host of other, there's hundreds of them, um, that oftentimes these disinformation factions will sort of workshop their narrative before they eventually try and catapult it to the larger traditional channels. Um, and being able to sort of pull back the curtain for users has been really important in helping uh, build resiliency to disinformation errors by helping them understand um, why organizations are launching these attacks, what their sort of agenda is, et cetera. Um, you know, how has Twitter sort of approach to that? You know, how are you folks thinking about putting, you know, or casting more sunlight on uh, organizations and factions who are purposefully spreading disinformation to move an agenda forward? Yeah. Um, so a couple of different ways that we are thinking about approaching this. One is increasing our own transparency, right? When we do discover, you know, cells of coordinated disinformation efforts, disclosing that information um, to the public, letting uh, folks know, you know, what we've found and, and what we can share about it. Um, again, both to the, you know, for that public layer of transparency and accountability, but also working with industry bodies um, and sharing that information whenever possible with our peers um, and other platforms in the space as well, right? So it, it helps combat some of that whack-a-mole of, you know, a, a coordinated effort popping up on one platform, getting shut down, and then immediately just moving over to another. Um, so, so certainly that is all work that our, our trust and safety teams are uh, working very closely with the industry at large on. Um, specific to, you know, as you mentioned, the pre-bunks and things, that is, is definitely you know, a lot of those enforcement action options that I mentioned uh, 
are looking at the the bad side still, right? How can we uh, deamplify or remove or keep people away from the bad stuff? But the other side of that coin is also ensuring that we're taking efforts to promote the good stuff, that we're elevating voices of authority. Um, and so we've done that through, as, as mentioned, the pre-bunks, which we did in the U.S. 2020 election. Earlier this year, during World Immunization Week, we placed a prompt at the top of people's timelines around the world, directing them to local public health resources and expert information on vaccinations. So again, just the idea as well of um, using the light, like you said, really to um, showcase uh, the truth and and help to educate and inform folks. So we know that a major challenge is that essentially you can find a headline to support any confirmation bias or angle that you want to. You know, as, as more and more new platforms emerge with a greater bent towards partisan viewpoints, the media is among one of the most distrusted players when it comes to misinformation or disinformation. Given that many people get their news directly from Twitter, what has the platform been doing to proactively limit the spread of false information? And specifically, I really want to ask you about uh, the recent partnership that you announced with AP and Reuters. Can you go a little bit more in detail on that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something we are really excited about um, and leans into, you know, the partnerships angle of all of the work that we do around trust and safety. These issues are really thorny and really challenging and are ultimately not something that any one company or platform are going to solve on their own. So we're ensuring that, you know, we're building a really diverse coalition um, of partners across industries and spaces um, to combat all of these challenges. So specifically with uh, the AP and Reuters, we just announced um, that we will be working with them to help um, supplement and, um, you know, really beef up the work that our um, curation team does. So this is the team um, that you might see, you know, a curated moment around a trending topic or areas where we provide additional context or color uh, to the the conversations that are, are happening on the platform. And, you know, sometimes for, for that team, you know, uh, conversations are a bit more nuanced or they're moving and emerging and evolving so rapidly um, that we, you know, aren't, aren't able to, to provide the appropriate context for, for some of those areas. And so by partnering with the AP and Reuters, um, obviously two extremely trusted uh, news organizations, uh, we're able to tap into, you know, their their you know experience and expertise in this area right this is this is what they do and so we, the partnership won't necessarily be focused on fact checking especially around you know enforcement of our misinformation policies we're we're you know not outsourcing that work we are continuing to take that onus um, onto ourselves but really the the partnership with them is focused around more of that you know shining the light on on the good information providing the additional context uh, and and working with them and their networks of journalists to expand and scale our ability to uh, add that that context. 
So we're already coming up at the end of the half hour. And I think I just want to sort of end us with one final question here and really put you on the spot. You know, what's the next big challenge brands will have to tackle to protect their consumers, especially as they engage with the brand online? What keeps Caitlin Rush up at night? Definitely. So we continue to see brands move more and more towards becoming content creators and in some cases, platforms themselves. And so this creates an area where they need to grapple with a lot of these same challenges that traditional social media channels have faced uh, over, over the past few years. So I think really important for brands to think about that is as you are creating spaces for your customers to come together and to interact and share, think about what are you doing to ensure that you're providing a baseline of protection against abuse or harassment um, for for these people. And one way is that one way that we really see brands doing this really well is when you almost think of it as you know a, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of thing that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, to feel safe and to create spaces where people uh, feel safe, they need to feel comfortable, they need to feel confident, and they need to feel like they contribute. Uh, A recent example, I will say, uh, someone who's done this very, very well um, was uh, Visa recently. So uh, they are a, a company you know, brand sponsor of Simone Biles. And obviously Simone was on the biggest stage under the biggest spotlight with the, with the Olympics recently and made the decision to step back from some of those events to focus on her mental health. And in this moment, uh, we saw the Visa CMO, Lynn Bigger, actually tweet Visa's support of Simone uh, when she was making this impossibly challenging decision. And I think that just goes to the heart of, you know, true sponsorship and, and true safety. It means being there for people, both for the wins and for the struggles, um, showing you have their back even when the going gets tough. And that ultimately is creating this space of psychological safety. Um, again, whether it is for somebody that you are, um, you know, partnering with directly and putting your brand name next to, or just the, you know, customers, the creators that, that you work with and, and are partnering with in any way. It sounds like really sort of staying true to our values would be sort of critical for any organization to continue to traverse this somewhat um, uncertain terrain. Is that fair? I think so. I think uh, if you lead with, lead with those core values, uh, you, you won't be steered wrong. Well, that's all the time we have today. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your expertise and knowledge on this timely topic. I can tell you we're getting questions about it on a daily basis from leaders across the globe. And to our listeners, thank you for joining in today with the TrustCast and Edelman Podcast. Thanks for listening to the TrustCast. The TrustCast is produced by Tara Zafar and Shireen Pathak. Don't forget to follow Edelman PR on Twitter and visit us on edelman.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.